Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us to help us as we seek to meditate upon your word now, so that we would have insight into your ways and that we would live according to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up our series in the book of 2 Samuel, which we began a year ago and have had time off uh, to go to other parts of Scripture. Uh, And basically it's following on from our series in the book of 1 Samuel. So we've been in 1 Samuel for many years, uh, coming back into it again and again. And uh, it seemed right to finish our series last time by doing at least chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. And so we covered that. And uh, now we pick it up at 2 Samuel chapter 2. Now, Some of you may be very much aware of where 2 Samuel falls into the place of Scripture and to history of time, Uh, but uh, uh, I thought I'd give a quick overview as to where Samuel falls. Uh, Basically, if you look at the beginning of the Bible, it starts with creation. It starts with the first parents, Adam and Eve. Uh, From Adam and Eve, you eventually get a man called Abraham. From Abraham, he then has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob, who's also called Israel. And from Israel, uh, you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. And from those 12 sons, those 12 tribes, uh, you end up with the Israelites in the land of Egypt. And they're there for a number of years, but then, of course, they're enslaved by Pharaoh. And God delivers them from the land of Egypt under the leadership of a man called Moses. Moses leads them around in the desert for a length of time, for 40 years. And then eventually they enter into the promised land under the leadership of a man called Joshua. And you can read all about it in the book of Joshua, if you like. Uh, Then there's a period where there's a series of judges that look after the people of Israel uh, while they're in the promised land, and that is in the book called Judges, and you can read that too if you like to bring yourself up to speed. Uh, And then after the book of Judges, you get the book of 1 Samuel, and 1 Samuel is when the Israelites ask for a king. They want a king, and God gives them a king, and that first king of Israel is called Saul. Uh, Saul starts off reasonably well, But he again and again sins against God and does not lead God's people as he should. And so God actually sends his prophet Samuel to anoint another man called David. But David is still there while Saul is under uh, the king of Israel. And David is forced to flee from the land of Israel because Saul... Uh, persecutes David and tries to kill him. And so David ends up living amongst the Philistines, uh, the enemies of God. He's no longer allowed to live in the land of Israel. And Saul continues to reign in Israel uh, and fight against the Philistines. And at the end of 1 Samuel, we see that Saul goes into battle against the Philistines and he, he loses the war and he loses his life. Uh, And so that's what we see at the end of uh, 1 Samuel, and that's what we looked at last time that we were looking at 1 Samuel together. We looked at the loss of Saul, and in chapter 1 of of 2 Samuel, uh, which is where we finished, we see David mourning the loss of Saul and executing Saul's assassin. So we understand that Saul uh, was injured in war, but then someone came along and actually executed him, came to David thinking he would get the blessing of David for killing David's enemy. But David all along had tried to uh, respect the Lord's anointed, that this was the king of Israel uh, from God, and so had not wanted to kill Saul. And so therefore, uh, he executed this assassin of Saul. And that is where we pick it up in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, where David is living amongst the Philistines where he'd been forced to flee while King Saul was reigning. But now, of course, King Saul is dead. And so that changes matters. And so David has to work out what is he going to do next. 
And so what does he do? Well, he inquires of the Lord as to what he should do and where he should go. And he asks whether he should go up to one of the towns of Judah. Uh, The tribe of Judah is the tribe that David is originally from. And he has actually been able to support them uh, with gifts as he's been uh, uh, doing raids while he's been living in Philistine territory. And uh, so, of course, that tribe would be favourable towards him. And we see in verse 1 that he inquires of the Lord whether he should go. In verse 1 it says, In the course of time David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. And the Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. And so David goes up there with his two wives and he goes up with the men that have been supporting him uh, while he's been living in the area of the Philistines. And then while he's in Hebron, what happens? Well, while he's there, the people of Judah come and anoint him as king. And we see that in verse 4. Verse 4 of 2 Samuel chapter 2. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So he's king over the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes, but there's a whole 11 other tribes that have not recognised him as their king. At the moment, David is only king over the house of Judah, only the tribe of Judah. And what are then David's first actions as king in Judah? Well, we see that he wants to pay honour to those who respected the body of Saul. Of course, the Philistines got the body of Saul. They took it away and had it in disgrace. But we understand at the end of uh, 1 Samuel that some men from a town called Jabesh-Gilead went and retrieved the body of Saul and buried it. And so when we, and we see that David hears of this in verse 4. It says in verse 4, the, the second half there, it says, When David was told that it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. That's one of David's first actions as king in Hebron is to bless the people who respected the body of Saul. And he even prays for them. He wants uh, the Lord to favour them. We read in verse 6, May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favour because you have done this. How does he bless the people? Well, it's by praying for them, that the Lord would bless these people for the respect that they showed to King Saul, and also that he would show them the same kind of favour that he expects from the Lord. And so what is the result that he wants uh, these men of Jabesh Gilead to have? Well, it's verse 7. It says, Now then be strong and brave. For Saul, your master, is dead. The king of Israel was dead. But he's got something to add to that. He says, And the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. And so he wants the people of Jabesh Gilead to be strong and brave because there is a new king. And uh, he is that king. And it's a king who looks for them to have kindness and faithfulness from God and that he too will show favour to those who are under him. So David has a kingdom at last. It's not the whole kingdom of Israel, but he nevertheless has a kingdom. It's been a long time coming. He was anointed first as king of uh, king uh, back in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Of course, there's been lots of persecution. Uh, but finally, he's risen to the throne. And next week we'll see that there is a rival kingdom that also arises and we'll start exploring that, uh, the rivalry between uh, the two kingdoms. But what can we learn from this passage today that is before us, from these first seven verses of 2 uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2? What can we learn from these verses? Well, I think one of the most helpful lessons that we can learn is about the provision of God for a king, that the, the Lord provides another king in the place of his first king, King Saul. And why is this important? Well, despite his failings, Saul was the rightful king of Israel. 
He was the rightful king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel, God's prophet, as king of Israel. And so he was a significant person in Israel, put there by God. And so his death is significant. David was careful not to touch him. And so when he dies, of course, this causes great trouble within Israel. Why? Well, people would have been afraid. With the death of Saul, it meant fears would have arisen in Israel. Why? Well, they would have been concerned about who is going to save them from their enemies. And they've got one enemy in particular that continues to resurface during this period in Israelite history, and that's the enemy of the Philistines. And it's not an empty fear. It continues to be that the Philistines are hurting them. Over the time that King Saul was reigning, but even now with King Saul's death, of course, that has meant that their enemies have gained the upper hand. Uh, they've already lost. Many people in Israel would have lost in that war that day. They would have lost the husbands and fathers to the Philistine armies. Uh, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1, that many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. It doesn't say exactly how many, but many people in Israel had lost husbands and fathers and sons to the Philistines. And what else did they lose? They didn't just lose lives. They lost homes as well. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 31 as well in verse 7, it says, When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. With the death of Saul, many people actually lost their homes. They lost whole towns. And the Philistines came in and took the, over those towns. And so as... King Saul has died, people would be questioning, we've already lost much, we've lost lives, we've lost homes, what else are we going to lose? Who is going to look after us now? And all kinds of fears would have arisen. And it would have been a real fear for them, not because of what's happened, but because who is going to look after us now? Who is going to be the succeeder to Saul's reign? Because it's not clear for them as to how they would get a new king. Because after all, this is the first time this has ever happened. They've had judges before, but they've never had a king before until Saul. And so this is the first time one of their kings has died. And so there's no clear succession plan as to who would be the next king. Now, they wanted a king like other nations. And what is generally done in other nations when a king dies? Well, it's one of the children, one of the sons of the king who takes over the throne. But what happened in the, in the battle between Israel and the Philistines when Saul died? His sons died as well. It wasn't just that Saul died, his sons died. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 2, they killed, that's the Philistines, killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. Three of his sons, Saul's sons, died in the battle that day as well. And the fact that they were there in the battle shows that they were probably the, the sons that were being groomed to be the king. And, of course, Jonathan was the one that was meant to be the king. But, of course, if Jonathan died, well, then maybe it was going to be Abinadab. And after, if Abinadab died, well, maybe it would be Malkishua. But now we're in this situation, well, who is it going to be? The warrior sons of Saul have also died. What are we going to do? Who's going to be king over Israel? And, of course, there's another problem in terms of the succession plan as to who will be king is that, well, who would God want to be king? After all, how did we know that Saul was meant to be our king? Well, we had Samuel, the prophet. Now, Samuel would know, wouldn't he, who should be the king? But what's the problem? Samuel's dead too. He died long before this battle. And so the Israelites would have been gripped with fear. 
They've seen the loss of lives, they've seen the loss of homes, and they have no clear succession plan as to who will be the one who saves them from other nations as they come and invade and as the Philistines have already done so. And so the death of Saul, we just read quickly over it, but it would have been the end of the world for many Israelites to hear of the death of Saul. But down in Judah, it was not the end of the world. Down in the tribe of Judah, which is in the southern part of Israel, so you've got the northern part and then you've got the southern part, and the southern part is where the tribe of Judah was. Down in Judah, it was not the end of the world. Why? Because God's new king rose to the throne there. And that king, of course, is David. And what would David do? Well, he would save Judah from their enemies, which is what a king's meant to do. He's been a warrior for so many years. He's been a successful warrior. And so, of course, he would be one who can save Judah from their enemies. And, of course, it's clear that he is God's chosen king as well. He was anointed by Samuel. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you can go and read it this afternoon, you can see the anointing of of David, and so he's a clear choice. So the people of Judah would not have been afraid. They've got a king, and they've got God's king, clearly given to them by Samuel. And so what does that then mean? They're protected. And we even see what David says about how they will be blessed. As he speaks to the people of Jabesh-Gilead, David understands what a king's meant to do. He's meant to bring the blessing of God. He says in, he prays uh, for the people in, in Jabesh-Gilead in verse 5, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by bearing him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness. And I too will show you the same favour because you have done this. This is what a king's meant to do. He's meant to be the tool by which God shows his kindness and his faithfulness to his people, and he himself is kind and gracious to the people. And so in Judah, it's not the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world at all, because they have a king, and they have God's king, and he is going to show kindness and faithfulness to them. God's going to show kindness and faithfulness to them, and he is a good king who will be good himself to his people. And so what should the people of Judah be? Well, they should be what David commands the people of Jabesh-Gilead to be. What's that? Verse 7, now be strong and brave. You don't have to fear. You can be strong and brave. The Hebrew literally is strengthen your hand. Have a strong hand because I am your king and I will look after you. Now, how is this helpful for us today as we look at this passage together? Well, it is helpful for us as we look at this today, because the problem of fear still remains when leaders are lost. Now, I know in Australia it's not the same. And we have leaders come and go, and often it can be quite frequent. For a time there, it seemed that prime ministers were coming and going quite rapidly. Uh, but even prime ministers who stick around for quite some time, they eventually go. They're eventually lost in some way. Sometimes they go swimming and never come back. But this is the situation we face, that leaders come and leaders go. And even Queen Elizabeth, who reigned for over 70 years, eventually goes and King Charles replaces her. So in Australia, it's not quite the same, but in one sense it is the same, in that we have leaders and they come and they go. But are Australians afraid with a change of prime minister? Do we have, are we gripped with fear? Well, not as much as other nations and as Israel was. Why? 
because there's no direct loss of life, generally speaking. There's no loss of homes. We see that's a problem for Israel there, that they lost lives and they lost homes. They lost whole towns. But when our PM changes, we don't see many lives lost and we don't see many homes lost. I mean, a few public servants may lose their jobs, depending on which PM's now in power. But generally speaking, we don't see an immediate loss of life and a loss of homes. But in another sense, there is a bit of fear that comes with a change of prime minister. Because depending on how they manage the economy and manage things, homes and lives could be lost. Depending on how they structure things financially, those who are very vulnerable in society may lose homes, those on pensions, those the, 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 the most poor in our society, those in government housing, they may lose their homes, depending on who is the prime minister and the decisions he makes. And of course, lives may be lost in due course as well. How? Well, if our prime minister doesn't care much about healthcare and healthcare funding goes down and we don't have the support that we need when we're sick, lives can be lost. And of course, if our prime minister decides that war is something we should engage in, well, then, of course, lives may be lost from our defence forces, but also if a conscription was to come along. So although there's not the same level of fear when we have a change in government, nevertheless, there is fear nonetheless. And it may come further down the track that it is the loss of life and the loss of homes that we are concerned about, and we attribute to the loss of a particular leader who was very good at preserving our lives and our homes compared to the current one. And if we look at history, of course, we can understand that just because we're now as stable as we are and we don't have the same fear, that if we look at history, empires come and go, nations come and go. And just because Australia is so stable today doesn't mean that it will be tomorrow. I was talking to a, a friend last night, an atheist friend, and he thinks that the whole of society as we know is going to collapse in 30 years' time, and he's following some Reddit forum on the internet and, and the collapse of society as we know it. For him, it's uh, something that he thinks is quite possible that Australia and the United States of America will not be so united in the future and that society will collapse. And if that happens, well, then, of course, we'll be very much in a similar situation as in 2 Samuel. And so it's important for us, as we look at 2 Samuel, to recognise that although we may not share the nation of Israel's fears in the same way, nevertheless, we still should also want to hope that God will provide us with a stable leader, that God will want to provide us with a stable leader. And he has. He gives his people a stable leader who will look after them. Israel knew the fear of loss of life and loss of home, but God saved them in due course by providing them with a good king. He provided them with a good king, a new leader, and that was David, as we'll look at as we continue our series through the book of 2 Samuel. But the question is, is will God do the same for us? Will he provide us a good leader who will look after us? And the answer, of course, is yes. And how do we know? Well, we know because we look at the New Testament and we see the way that Christ's disciples went through the same fears in one sense that the people of Israel had when they lost their king. Who was the king of the disciples of Jesus? Well, of course, it was Jesus himself. The disciples had embraced him as their Messiah, as Jesus of Nazareth was their king. Who had come to save them. But what happened to their king? Pilate crucified their king. And he made it very clear what he was doing. What did he fix above Jesus' head at the cross? 
Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And so the disciples went through this same turmoil that we see here in 2 Samuel and in 1 Samuel that the people of Israel would have gone through. Their king was dead. And so what response does that invoke? Fear. Fear. And we saw that in the reading from John chapter 20 before. What do we see the disciples doing after their king has died? We read in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And it occurs later down in the passage again. It mentions that the doors were locked. Why did they lock the door? Because they were afraid. They were trusting in a good solid door and a good lock to keep them safe. But that's all they had. They had locked doors. And why were they so fearful? Well... Same sorts of fears that the people of Israel would have had back when their king died. Fear the loss of their lives. If Pilate killed their king, well, of course, he could kill the king's subjects. And he could take their homes from them as well. The Romans were very good at taking homes from people, taking lives from people and taking homes from people. That's how they conquered and made the Roman Empire the Roman Empire. And so it's a real fear that these disciples faced. But what did God do? Well, like with David, he filled the power vacuum and provided a king. Who did he provide? The same king that they trusted in before. Who was that? Well, it was Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead. God had raised David to the throne. He also raised Jesus from the dead. And we see that in John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They'd lost a king, but God provided a new king. Just as Israel had lost a king in King Saul, but God provided a new king in David, so for the disciples they'd lost a king, But now he's provided that king again by raising him from the dead. And what's the reaction? Well, the fears of the disciples are dispelled. What do we read there in John chapter 20, verse 20? It says that, in fact, they were overjoyed. Why? Because it was the beginning of what they would increasingly understand that under Jesus as king, they didn't need to fear loss of life. They didn't need to fear loss of homes. Ultimately, everything would be okay. Because Jesus would be their king forever. They would never go through what the people of Israel went through with Saul and then the people of Israel went through with David and subsequent king after king after king after king that died, 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 just as we have with prime ministers. They come, they go, they come, they go, they come, they go. But with Jesus, he would reign eternally from then on. Yes, he died, but now he was raised from the dead to live forever. And just as David brought God's faithfulness and kindness to the people of Israel. So Jesus brings God's faithfulness and kindness to his people. And he shows it himself, the same kind of favour. That's what we see in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 2, in verse 6, it says, May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favour because you have done this. This is the words of David, but it can be said of Jesus as well. Exactly the same thing. That because he is king, God's favour and kindness will come to them and he also will show that. And so what could the disciples be after they see that Jesus is their king and will be their king forever? They can be what the people of Jabesh Gilead were encouraged to be by David. 
What was that? What did we read in verse 7? Now then be strong and brave. Be strong and brave because God has given a king. Here's a king who brings God's favour to you. Is that what the disciples were? Were they strong and brave from then on? Saw them before the king showed up. They were there in fear behind locked doors. What do we read in Acts? In Acts, we see them, yes, being strong and brave and proclaiming their king without fear. We read in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, that they've been brought before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest, that same high priest who had condemned Jesus to death and made sure that it happened with Pilate. And what do they say to the high priest when they're brought before that same Sanhedrin that Jesus was brought before? They say, we, uh, the, the, uh, the high priest says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That's what the accusation is made against the disciples. And what do we see happens? It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince, as royalty and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. That's not fear. That's people being brave and strong in response to knowing that they have a king, a king who brings God's favour and shows them God's favour himself. Now, how is this helpful for us then? Well, we can share the disciples' same joy. We can share their joy if we have Jesus as our king too. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who never despairs about who will protect him from his enemies because he fears loss of life and loss of home. He doesn't have that same fear. Why? Because he has Jesus as his king and Jesus will never die again. There's no end to Christ's reign. And so therefore, what does that mean? It means that the Christian knows that he will receive God's kindness and faithfulness and favour and goodness all his life and then into eternity. And so what is the Christian? Christian is someone who has eternal king, who knows God's kindness and faithfulness, and therefore is what? Brave and strong. Brave and strong. Why? The king of kings is on his side. He has a king who will never leave office. Love the line in Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, then who can be against you? So, of course, you are strong and brave. So the question for you this morning is, is Jesus your king? Have you taken Jesus, like the people of Judah took David, and anointed Jesus as your king? Is he your king? Or do you still have another king of your life? We all have a king of our lives. The question is, is Jesus your king? Or do you have another king? Another king who you look to to save you from life, uh, save your life and to save you, your possessions and your home to protect you? If you have another king, you need to wake up. Because Jesus is a king who will never die. Whereas... All other kings die. All other kings lack the power to save your life and to save your home. It's only Jesus 
who will be able to protect you for all of eternity and give you an eternal home and protect your life for all of eternity. And why is that? Well, it's only Jesus who has died the death that you deserve for your sin. We all deserve to lose our life. But it's only in Jesus that we can save our life because he is the one who saves us. And if that happens, then his kindness flows over to us through his death and so that we have an eternal home in heaven rather than eternal punishment in hell. And so what should you do if you've never crowned Jesus as king? You should crown him today. How do you do it? By trusting in him, by humbling yourself before him, admitting you're a sinner and that you need saving and trusting in Jesus to save you. I encourage you to do it this morning. Crown Jesus as your king. Do what is commanded in the hymn that we're about to sing, crown him with many crowns in your bulletin on the first verse where Bridges and Thring, the authors of this, psalm, uh, this, this hymn, write in verse 1, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark, how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. And if you have made Jesus as your king, what should you do? Well, I encourage you to rejoice. You see, the disciples, they were overjoyed when they saw their king. We should be rejoicing as well and thanking God by the power of the Holy Spirit. What should we be thanking God for? Well, our king died. But God raised him from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he reigns, uh, he reigns now to rule forever. He was raised to rule forever. We're part of an eternal kingdom. So wonderful that Christ broke the cycle of king dying, new king arising. King dying, new king arising. That we see, if you read the book of Kings, it happens again and again in one and two kings. King comes along, dies, another king comes. Christ broke that cycle. God's king now reigns forever. And so we don't have to go through the turmoil that the Israelites went through at the death of Saul, of who will be king. You see it with the, uh, when David as well, if we get, ever get that far, uh, when he is coming to the end of his life, there's turmoil as to who will be king after him as well. Solomon doesn't immediately get on the throne. It's contested. But we don't have to worry about that. It's such a wonderful thing to be a Christian that we know that our ultimate king will remain king for all of eternity. And so the elections that come and go here on earth, referendums that take place, the Christian doesn't have to worry so much about them because at the end of the day, his king reigns and he will continue to show kindness and favour and faithfulness all his life, all the Christian's life and through into eternity. So we can thank God for giving us our king, but we can also thank him then for that protection and favour that he bestows. It's so wonderful that our king is not a despot who likes to take advantage of the people that are under him. No, he shows kindness to him. I mean, David was one who showed great favour to the people of Israel, but David was not Christ. Very clearly, he was not very kind to Uriah the Hittite, if we ever get there, who was one of his subjects, one of his mighty men. He did not show kindness and favour to that man. 
David made mistakes, but Christ never makes mistakes. His kindness and his faithfulness are continual. And so we should thank God for the kindness and faithfulness that are shown to us through Christ Jesus. So what should we do if we're subjects of Christ? Well, we should thank God for giving us Christ, for giving us our King and a King who shows kindness. What else should we do? Well, we should be strong and brave, shouldn't we? Why? Because it's easy to not be strong and brave. It's easy to fear our enemies. who may take our lives and may take our homes. To fear the evil one and the damage that he may do to us. But no, we need to be strong and brave. And so, are you someone who lets your enemies steal your joy? While Christ is on his throne, you let enemies steal your joy. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Be strong and brave because Jesus is king and he shows kindness and faithfulness from God to you now and will always. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God who generously provides kings for your people. Lord, we come before you and recognise that we were once rebels of yourself, but now we trust in your eternal king, Christ Jesus himself. Lord, we thank you for making his kingdom eternal and for blessing us with your kindness through him. We ask that you would help us to be strong and brave so that we fight against your enemies. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is not who has not anointed Jesus as their king. Oh, Lord, we pray that they would do so now by faith and enjoy being under his rule and under being, being under the king's protection, the king's kindness now and forevermore. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I now invite you to stand and sing, Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Please stand and sing. <laughs>